Hi, hello, and welcome to episode 5 of Oh Boy, the podcast presented by Man Repeller. I'm Jay Bume, your host. On this week's episode, I sat down with Pyle Kadakia, who is the CEO and co-founder of ClassPass, as well as an accomplished dancer. We had a great conversation, and I'm really excited to share it with you, so here we go. And, and did you guys ever go to Cape May when you were down yep, there? Yeah, Cape May. Free fudge. Yeah, Great. that was the, the boardwalks. I've been on all the rides, which was the funny thing, because I don't know anyone who would trust those rides, but mm-hmm. I definitely did. So where did you grow up? So I grew up in Randolph, New Jersey, mm-hmm. small town mm-hmm. in Morris County. You know, how, how do you feel about New Jersey overall? I always think about it in the sense of it reminds me of my family. My parents still live there. Mm-hmm. So I love going out there. NJ Transit <laughs> kind of brings back those memories. It's interesting. I feel like as I've gotten older, I go there less. But I miss the times when we were driving on the parkway. Right. <laughs> um I miss those moments. It's a beautiful a highway system. Yeah. It really it's is. It's very green. It is. Yeah. I think what I loved about it is like I cheerleaded all through college. I cheerleaded, or not college, I cheerleaded um, for over 12 years. Oh, wow. Uh, which is crazy. So, like bring it on style where you yeah. go to competitions and stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Really? Um, so I did a lot of competing. So like Friday night football games yeah. was what I did growing up did every you, fall. Did you guys have a good football team? Yeah, we were division one. Did you ever get in any dance battles with any other cheerleading crews? Um, sometimes we would, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but not bring it on style. I would say it was right. more, it was probably more of, uh, of a fun, like cheerleading to, or cheerleader to cheerleader hoax you would do. We, you would actually always have to bake for the other team. cookies or something and give it to them and this is there was a time where i remember one team actually put laxatives in they actually did it yeah in someone's brownies and gave it to the other team but this is sort of tradition so then they stopped that tradition i could see why they would do that yeah the thing is it's one of those jokes that everyone's like oh we'll put laxatives in there but that's actually very dangerous it's very dangerous it's It's like a funny prank idea but it is not a good idea you know yeah i just remember we i think this is like it was one of those things that everyone talked about, and I don't really know if it ever really happened. It's like a legend. Right, right. Amongst the cheerleaders. They ruined it for everyone. But also, they were kind of asking for that scenario to yeah, happen. It was totally. a time bomb waiting to go off. Exactly. <laughs> Would you consider growing up there an ideal? Yeah, I mean, I think what's really nice is they had a great school system. My parents actually moved there because... The school system, like that was the number one reason we moved to my town. I think that's why my folks moved there. Yeah. In New Jersey, too. Where did they move from? um, We were in Mine Hill, which was literally I moved about a five like minute car ride away just to go into a different zip code. Wow. And I understand why my parents did it. And I think obviously hopefully benefited. Yeah. But, you know, I think it really reminds me of school. I think um, I was around all like a very diverse group of people. I learned a lot about different cultures. My parents just had come from India, right, in Mm -hmm. the 70s. So it was really good for me to be surrounded by other people and other traditions. And my parents were super progressive, so they let me learn from it, like learning to eat other types of foods or celebrating Christmas with my friends. So I could really adapt to being 
here in States versus in India. Was it hard for them to come over here? What was that experience like? So my parents had uh, a love marriage, which is an interesting thing to say because people always say, doesn't everyone have a love marriage? But in India, most people have arranged marriages. My parents fell in love when they were in seventh grade. What? Yeah, but their parents wouldn't let them be together. So um, for about 10 years, and this is obviously the story I hear, Uh they wrote like love letters to each other and supposedly would look at each other through balconies and not really interact because you weren't allowed to. <laughs> this is too ridiculous. I know. And then finally, I'm tearing up a little bit here. Yeah. In the, um, when they were in their early 20s, um, my mom, who actually is the youngest of her family, but is sort of the firecracker, convinced my dad to literally run away from India. So they actually had passports. My dad's father had ripped them up at one point, too, oh because they didn't want them to leave. Um, but they figured it out, and they ended up going to my mom's brother's house in California. And that's where they sort of started their life here. They didn't have much of anything. Um, my dad was a chemist. My mom was, I don't even know. I mean, she was doing some chem stuff, but, you know, really just protecting the house, et cetera. Two scientists in love <laughs> on the run. Exactly. That's, that's, a, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. You know, what kind of kid were you growing up? Amazing question. Um, you know, actually, I always have to look back at videos sometimes to right. remember. To and remember the how it actually was, not yeah. like your and version like, of... I thought I was more interactive than I was, but I what I realized with me in the videos I always watched, I was always moving and dancing to something in my head. This was the really strange thing. I always knew I saw people dancing in my head. It was a very weird thing, and I'm now a choreographer, etc., but I loved sort of moving around and dancing. And for some reason, there would always be stuff going on. And I was kind of in my own zone. And I was like, what was I doing? What was I thinking about? Yeah. I wish I could know now. But um, my parents also wanted me to be a boy. So they shaved my head for the first seven years of my life. I had like a boy cut. Really? Uh, yeah. Did they like make you wear boys clothing? Uh, no. Was it like, was it because, you know, there's an actual phenomenon where people do will dress. Was it, was that the case or this is you just, you know, just joking around a little bit? It was, I think it was was actually just convenient for my mom to not have to do, to do, to do curls hair because I have a sister. Younger or older? She's older than me. So she's like, I already did one girl's hair. Not doing it again. She's like, I'm just going to cut your hair off. (laughs) Done. Exactly. Um, Little do they know. Yeah. Actually, that's a really good you know, I'm sorry that you had to deal with it. <laughs> but if we take you out of the equation, if you're looking at it from the outside, that's a pretty good move. Yeah. I mean, my my mom was all about respect. convenience. Yeah. Right. She had to she was like, all right. Cause they both were working full time. She had two daughters growing up in the house. So mm-hmm. she did what she had to to get everything of course, done. Of course. Were your parents supportive of you um, or did they kind of have a plan in place of what they wanted you to do? You know, I think for my parents being here um, away from their family and having to have gone through the life they did, fighting for everything that they needed to, um, you know, even for my parents, they went from California to Boston to New Jersey. And it was a series of events that happened that put them in a place where I feel like they were able to have kids and, you know, give us a good education. And so I think for them, their number one thing was... You guys have to grow up and probably have a pretty structured, comfortable career. That's why they, you know, they forced us to make sure we went to good schools, mm-hmm. like do our homework, et cetera. And at some point, it was interesting. I actually just internalized that and started getting a very internal discipline. Um, one of the biggest things that happened to me was when I was three years old, my mom's uh, best friend was an amazing dance guru from India. Oh, so wow. she started training me in dance. And this was actually something where we would dance in our friends' basements. So a bunch of girls from even neighboring towns where there was 
maybe about 10 Indian girls. We would meet every weekend and we would dance. And this is sort of how I spent almost every one of my weekends growing up. And my parents knew that about me. And then I got into MIT. I went to a good school. And I remember there was a point where when I, I'd work so hard, my mom would tell me to go shopping. Um, so it was so one of those things where my mom, my she mom was, was the one like, that had to pump yeah, the brakes. Yeah, so she would be like, you're, you're like, you work so hard. You're always like, I would come home from school and I'm like, this is what I'm going to do every day. And I'd always be doing my homework and I'd always be studying. But I was also social too. Like I cheerleaded. I was doing all these things, but I kind of was always just so focused. And Do you remember where that early love for dance came from? Yeah, you know, I am dance is such a big part of my life, and it was actually watching Bollywood movies. The um, best. There was this one actress, her name is Madhuri Dixit, and she was just so emotive. And when you watched her dance, you kind of lost yourself. Mm-hmm. And I just fell in love with that, and I wanted to create that. And yeah. I would dance in my room because I just wanted to figure out a way to exude that same energy. And then over time, you know, I... I um, would start performing at family parties. You know, I was I was that girl who always showed up with, I had a dance costume with me, I had my CD with me. Did you have your boom box? Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness usually there was a DJ, but sometimes I would have to bring one. Yeah. But I was like a little mini road show That's with my parents. Um, and that started when I was like six years old, I feel like. So I just remember every family party for me was some sort of analysis of, okay, so everyone's gonna come. I'm gonna change 15 minutes before dinner. And then I'm going to have dinner, then I'm going to perform, change back out, et cetera. You had it, like, figured out very early on, if it seems like. You know, like, <laughs> good good for I you. Did. Yeah. Good, I, great job. Um, I think that's what's nice when you find something you really like when you're younger. You of know, course. I think that's a little bit of what Class Pass is about is I think people lose touch with that a little. And now then you're searching for it. In the middle of all this focused, being focused and just kind of, you know, knowing what you wanted to do and, you know, what you're good at. Was there ever an awkward time when you were growing up? I think for me, one of the hardest things was my Indian and American identity. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in a town, most of it was, actually, there weren't any Indian people in my in my hometown. Really? But I started dancing, and so on the weekends, I would hang out with a lot of Indian people. And actually, it ended up feeling kind of nice that I had both my cultures with me. Right. Um, I didn't know who I identified with. And that became a bit of a struggle to me when I was growing up. I mean, I remember getting made fun of for being Indian when I was younger, that at some point I decided that I wasn't Indian and I was light skinned, that I I literally would almost act like I wasn't. And um, I think that, you know, people go through that. I didn't know how to identify with it when I was in school or I would try and hide that I was. And I remember my mom was like, what's going on? And she came and like talked to my principal about it. But my principal... I realized I was like I was getting made fun of. People were treating me like I was different, oh and I didn't know how to deal with it. But I got over it, and now yeah. I pretty much I very much identify with it. That's great. I mean, yeah. So how did you kind of um, you know come to the point where you landed at a place where you felt comfortable with it? I feel like I had that sort of double identity all through high school. I think it was more in college where um, I went to college and I met a group of other Indian people who were more like me. Right. Um, And then at the same time, I had all my other friends and I just realized, whoa, like, I don't need to create this divide. Mm -hmm. Um, And you kind of fit in everywhere. And that's when I started getting over it. And I really owned my American Indian identity, not just each one of them separately. And I started wanting to then share my Indian dance part with everyone else in my life. And that's actually when it became really important to me, because before I used to be like, okay, I dance Indian and I'm going to keep that in a circle and not tell anyone 
and then I was going to go hang out at frat parties and have a different life, you know, that wasn't really associated um, with sort of my culture. And my culture was very important to me because I, obviously my passion was rooted in it. Of course. So it was really nice when I got to share it with both sides and that became a big part of who I was. That's amazing. Was there a path that you wanted to follow? Um, you know, I never really, I dream a lot, obviously. Of course. <laughs> um, I love dreaming. Like I actually, the one thing I will always say, and I remember my college years for this was I always had a show. Always. Like I always needed a show I was performing for. and That you were working towards? Wor- that I was working towards because I loved the like choreographing. I loved thinking about the performance and every single semester at college there was a show and I actually didn't travel because of it and I knew I'd be like the person either coming up with the choreography or you know I was going to be like dancing in it the whole time so my life revolved around that for a very very long time mm-hmm. um and I don't know I never really was one of those people who thought about oh my god when I grow up I'm gonna do x because I, I think in my heart I was a dancer but like you know going back to your question earlier my parents were never going to be okay with me being a dancer. Right. Right? Like, that wasn't... I didn't really know how that was going to play out, and it played out as it did. Of course. Um, but But did that, they instill something into you where, like, you can do dancing, but you need to also... Oh, I mean, my... You know, actually, like, when I was at a... So I left Bain because I wanted to dance more. And when I left Bain and I started working at Warner, I this is when I started my dance company, I remember my dad calling me one day and just being like you need to stop dancing like you should be studying for the GMATs and this is when I had just started my dance company and the most amazing thing is that weekend we had a really big show and it was our first show where we invited our family and everyone to come right. no one had ever seen us perform it was at Alvin Ailey and my dad came and he was sitting I remember in the front row and at the end of it everyone stood up and gave us like a standing ovation and I remember I have it on video and my dad was so proud of me and the next day he calls me and he goes I'm looking into arts programs at Columbia, <laughs> which is just kind of shows you like my dad was always about education. This is comes from right. his, you know, his upbringing and you know, he's a scientist. Yeah. And he took a big risk to come here. He wanted me to have stability. Right. But what was awesome is over like the next few years, my mom, my dad saw me succeed with the dance company that by the time I was once again having more of that identity crisis with do I do dance or do I stay in corporate America? And I went to them. My mom was the one who told me to quit. Wow. My job. And that's where, you know, that was about five years ago. And she was the one who said, just go and do what you love. Like, you're going to be happy instead. And that was awesome for me oh, to hear so from beautiful. my own parents. You're very lucky. It's a really lucky scenario to be in. So we're going to go back a little bit. Sure. Um, so you went to school at MIT. Yep. Did you have, you know, when you're in when you're in high school, you're like, I'm, I'm going to go to MIT. I'm going to become some crazy scientist. I'm going to invent all these things. What what was like going through you your know, head? You know, I, it's interesting. And back, you know, I think I, I looked up to my sister a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I probably never told her this. So <laughs> it's probably the first time she's going to be hearing that. Um, I really honestly, in terms of a path, actually, the person I always did look up to in terms of what to do next was my sister. Mm-hmm. Our paths probably started shifting when she got married 10 years ago. And I was like, there's no way I'm getting married <laughs> anytime. We were two and a half years apart. So right. I was like, OK, so I have two and a half years. And that was probably when I was like, I need to start inventing my own life. Um, and I was kind of always following her. And, you know, she went to a good school, et cetera. So I, like, just assumed I would go to a good school. So I applied to all, like, the top schools. And I kind of – the thing with MIT was more – I was really into math and science. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it's it's interesting because I consider myself pretty creative now, which is interesting that I was so drawn to sort of like math, physics, chemistry, geometry, et cetera, and wanted to go to a place like MIT. I, I did a documentary shoot once at MIT, and oh. uh, we got to spend a couple of days there. And that place is is like magical. It's different. It's, it's really it's wild. It's different, yeah. There's just, you know, we are in this one building where there's just all these people that are just inventing things that we won't even see for like 10 years. Yeah. And uh, there's just all these like magical wizards creating these things. And then also there's certain parts of it where you've got like kind of the old school like science feel to it. Yep. You know, and then there's... The theorists, yeah. The theorists, right. Yeah. And then, and then, so yeah, so you've got like the dreamers and then you've got the theorists and then you've got like some weird kind of like eastern block like communist looking buildings it's it's such a wild place yeah i, I mean it, you know it it was an interesting four years um it's the the one word i always use with mit is the word intense mm -hmm. it was super intense like the day school starts it's all of a sudden everyone goes into hiding and everyone comes out right after finals and you're kind of like what happened for the past like how are you doing months? i'm doing yeah. okay is everything good I haven't seen you yeah. in a while yeah great um yeah and so it, it's but it, it it taught me so much. I mean, looking back, I'm always like, wow, those four years were like such a great foundation for everything else. But it was different. I mean, I once again spent my time there working and I also started a dance troupe on campus. And you just can't be troupe. stopped. Well, my, for me, it was I can't I couldn't do like I felt like dance was my inspiration and my sort of outlet of course so as long as dance was there I could do everything else and and it was sort of vice versa I always used to be like I have to get good grades so I could dance like mm -hmm. it was kind of a trade-off I created in my own mind um but it was sort of what I focused on I like I like that spirit of if it's not there I'm gonna create it and make it happen yeah I think that's it's a... what I've always felt like you have to do right and how you create change in the world what was the transition like um from when you were leaving school to getting out into the real world and trying to become an, like a proper adult so i was excited to move to new york i mean i think for me i, I was in boston mm -hmm. and i never lived in the city and growing up in new jersey everyone looked forward to being in dream. the city it's so it was really exciting and i actually was moving in and living with um, my sister and my cousin so i felt like i was at home and with my family which was nice um, the first thing I did when I came here was obviously look up where I was going to dance. Mm -hmm. um, so I started looking for a place I could perform and dance. And I actually found a studio that was literally five minutes of, of walking from my apartment. Oh, that's and so I started dancing there, which was great. And I to find I feel like that was what helped me with the transition, because if I hadn't found that, I don't know what I would have done as I as the trend in my life. That's kind of always been there. Dance is always just the backbone that's always there. If you're ever kind of deviating from the line, yep. it just brings you right Usually back Usually when to... dance isn't there, things go wrong. That's yeah. like how I always have like looked at it. I'm like, wow, when I stop dancing and over, look, after doing a startup over the past five years, there was definitely blocks where I've had to stop. And that's usually when I'm like, this something doesn't feel right. So you're working at these like these consulting companies and then you started working at Warner Brothers Records? Warner, it was Warner Music Group. Warner, excuse me? So, Warner Music yeah. Group. Um, was that a natural transition? Because, like, when I hear those two things, I just, I, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So I don't know if I knew this going into it, but now when I reflect on it, my number one thing, um, to not, not to be repetitive, but I left Bain because I wanted to dance more. And no one was going to be okay with me quitting and just dancing. So... I convinced myself to get a more stable job. I didn't want to go to business school yet. I didn't want to. I knew, you know, a job at Bain, if I stay there, was going to be more rigorous. So I decided 
to get something that I felt like I could have a bit more time in my mm-hmm. own schedule, my own personal life to dance more. So I ended up working more because I ended up having two things to do. But um, I went to Warner. I mean, the, the thing is, is I was always into entertainment. Actually, this is why I was mentioning like the JLo and Britney thing is my mm-hmm. dad, when I told him I was going to Warner, he was like, oh, makes sense. Like you were always into entertainment. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, you used to watch E like all day long. Yeah. And I was like, I did. Um, so it was one of those things where I feel like I, I enjoy that. And it was really amazing because I actually joined a digital strategy group. Okay. So I got to like really start working on deals with like Apple, Spotify, Google, and when, the, when of, that stuff was like first starting. Yeah. To come and out. so no one had heard about these things. And actually, it's so relevant to the things we do now. But I think it helped me sort of get get an edge on sort of the digital world because I was I was just put into it as an analyst so young and that I could see the trends happening with YouTube and the way like ad sales were going. And so it helped me think through being an entrepreneur. It kind of gave me a different toolkit that I think most people don't get that early on. Can you recall a specific moment? When you decided that you wanted to, you know, enter into the startup world and, and create an app. And... Yeah. So I went to um, so actually right um, about exactly about five years ago, I went to San Francisco for one of my good friends um, birthdays and it was a surprise party for her. And I met a bunch of other entrepreneurs in San Francisco. I didn't really know any entrepreneurs in New York. Most of my friends were bankers or mm-hmm. in bank or in consulting. Mm-hmm. And I met all these all these folks who had these amazing ideas. They were, you know, for me, it kind of translated to what I was doing with my dance company in terms of what they were doing, but they all were doing it full time. And so it made me really start thinking about, wow, like I'm a creative person. When I put my mind to things, I'm going to do it. And I remember I took a red eye home on Sunday night. And while I was, I was kind of like in that uninspired moment already at work, I was like, I'm going to give myself two weeks to think of an idea. Literally, like I just, because I know I'm very focused. I was right. like, if I you do this, a deadline. I will come, yes. you know, I, it was one of those things where like when I was on the plane, like I would see a spoon and be like, what can I do with this? Or, <laughs> you know, like I would just like everything I was doing, I was trying to think of an idea. And so the people that you were spending time with in those two weeks were like, what is going yeah, on? Yeah. Well, the interesting thing was, so I, I, I took the Sunday night red eye. On Monday, I was a bit exhausted. On Tuesday, I wanted to obviously get back into my classes, et cetera. So, and I was studying ballet a little bit. But I started feeling a bit like in a routine with my current teacher, and I wanted to try a new ballet class. So I had my ballet clothes with me, and I went to go look for another class to take. And that's when I started really figuring out that this was like a disaster. Like, it took me three hours, and it was like I probably started searching at four, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to go to class at like... You know, I thought I was going to find something at like 637. And honestly, I feel like seven o'clock came and I was like, I'm still looking. Uh, and that's when I started realizing that there was a pain point there. And that's when the wheels started turning for me about, hey, wow, there's such an information gap here. And I didn't quit at the time. But this so this was about, I would say, July of 2010. Mm-hmm. And so I started like having this idea brew in me. I didn't have the confidence to quit yet, nor had I talked to my parents and I started telling people about the idea, seeing how they were going to react to it. And it took me in, it took me until I remember Thanksgiving when I came home. My mom was like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, I don't know. She just felt like I was completely out of it. And I just was uninspired, which is not like me because I'm always full of a lot of energy. I hope. Of course. And um, that's when she kind of told me to quit. And then it took me like three weeks to quit. It's not an easy thing, right, no. for anyone. And I actually tell anyone this, but 
I always say your greatest life like is on the other side of your greatest fear, right? And for me, it was probably like telling my boss that I was leaving. And the other thing was, is I didn't have a plan B. People, that was like one of my friends gave me that advice, which was one of the best things was I was going to get another job, obviously, because I didn't know how to, it's really hard to not have something to do. And she was like, Pyle, like you're so driven, just don't have a plan B. And I quit. And the best thing was, is I had started thinking about this idea. I didn't know if that's what I was going to do. So I wasn't even set on doing it. I was maybe going to go dance. I didn't know. I just kind of was keeping it open and free. I was going to, I traveled in between to figure it out. And um, I remember the day I quit, like one of the, the vice chairman of all of Warner Music Group sends me an email back being like, come to my office. I want to chat with you about what like entrepreneurial things you're doing. And he became my first investor, one of my biggest mentors. And it happened literally minutes after me writing an email, right? Like a part of, I always think about it because it's so many doors open. I'm shaking my head right now. You can't see this, but I'm shaking my head. This is unbelievable. <laughs> it's, it's, and I ever, like so many sequence of events happened right after that day where I was like, oh my God, this is how life should be right. when you're acting in line with who you are and doing the things that motivate you. Cause then I started meeting amazing people and they were connecting me to other amazing people. And that's how I ended up here, right? So your ex-boss is like, all right, uh, you're leaving, but I'm, I want in with what you're doing next. Yeah. What was that moment like for you when you first were like, okay, this is the thing that I'm going to do now? All I had in me was being able to problem solve and being driven. Mm-hmm. And that was that was really all you need, right? It's mm-hmm. You have to be able to inspire other people, right? You need to be able to think through things. I knew what I wanted to create. I knew inside I knew I wanted to make the world more active and have in a way what I always say is when I talk about dance I wanted everyone to have that right and I didn't know why people didn't I actually would always like whether it was my sister or just people I would talk to and they'd be like struggling through things and I just wanted to like give them what I had and I feel like that's ultimately what this has become and it's been so rewarding but you know in the process I did not always I didn't always I didn't study all the aspects of it like no idea but I I was a, like a, like a good learner in the sense of if I didn't know something I knew where to go. I didn't I didn't have any fear in asking people questions of how I was going to figure it out yeah. or hiring somebody or inspiring them. Like I had a lot of people do favors for me earlier on because I didn't have any money at that time and I just was like, "Hey, do you want to work on this?" and I think they were they were really inspired by the mission and the vision of it and you know, a lot of people early on had seen me do some of the dance stuff. And I think that gave them a lot of faith in, wow, like Pyle's going to go and do stuff. She's And when she's driven, she's going to create something. So I had a lot of people just back me because of that, which was, it was nice to have that sort of confidence and people supporting me. Can you can you just like break down the, the actualities of, of just starting it, of like what went into it? Yeah. Just for people listening. I mean, I think, I think you know, sometimes when there's things that people want to do, it's like the the... You know, you put it on such a pedestal that it seems like this impossibility. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, just, Absolutely. If you just break it down. Yeah. Like... And I will start with every path is different. And I can always look back and be like, whoa, we maybe shouldn't have done this or did do this. But my path was literally, we probably spent, I would say, the first, I would say, phase of the company sort of getting um, a handle on what was going on in the industry, like learning about data, right? Because I was trying to figure out the information gap. So, I had to do a lot with how was I going to get the information? How was I going to get the schedules? How was I going to get every studio linked into a website? Right. right? Do you just like call them up? Do you go oh, there and be like... we built like crazy... Um, I mean, we built like taxonomy, like Excel sheets of like, okay, like 
this type of class is a bar class and this type is a martial arts class and this one overlaps, where do you put it? Because this is what we were building. Um, we would have people scraping schedule data. So like that was the other side of it. This was in the beginning as we were just a search engine. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was just to get the data, right? This wasn't even like having a site launched. And then, you know, and I made a few mistakes here too. I hired some people earlier on to build it. They weren't necessarily capable. Like I didn't get a site up until I would say nine months <laughs> right. after like having the idea. So And you having the initial funding from your first investor. So the yeah, and you know, those were all like small checks and I didn't I didn't even know in the beginning. I mean, one of my like great friends who I I remember I interned with him when I was investment banking, I told him I was doing something and he just on the spot wrote me a check and I was like, Do you like don't you want to see paperwork, et cetera? And like I said, a lot of it in the beginning is people will invest in a person. That like all they can't they don't know what I'm going to create. They have no, there's no way I'm going to show them data on like some trajectory or, you know, and at that point I just had, I was just so, they could see the conviction in my eyes that I was going to go and do this. And so I think for, for funding, I wasn't necessarily, I would say, didn't have money like right away in the beginning. Um, I went and actually one of my good friends who I grew up with <laughs> near New Jersey, mm-hmm. um, he grew up in Rockaway, which is right uh, next, next to um, Randolph. And we basically started uh, the company together, and he was sort of helping me with a lot of the data side of things. I was trying to, like, figure out the fundraising, so we were kind of tag-teamed it. And I think it is important to have somebody to talk to early on because, you know, unless you want to talk to your, like, spouse about it or your, like, friends, and at some point everyone else gets bored because they're not vested in it. And so it was really amazing. You know, we would go to Starbucks early on, right? So that's the other thing is, like, having a space to be creative, and yeah, our first office was technically Starbucks. We would show up there every day at like 9 a.m. It was like, all right, we're going to meet. And we would just work all day. We would be researching tools. You know, it's really just about getting a handle on what problems you're going to need to solve. The one thing I wish we did earlier on, and in hindsight, you know, once again, hindsight's 2020, is I wish sometimes it's just like get something out there and see what people do because we've pivoted our business multiple times at this point to mm-hmm. actually end up with the successful model. And it's all about learning. And the only way you can learn is actually by putting it out there. People will always say they're going to use your product, but you don't actually know until you put it out there. Yeah. You have no idea where they're going to put, you know, put their the dollars of, of their wallet. And I think it's, it's really hard to predict that. And people can say they will when they hear an idea. It doesn't mean they're going to do it. And so for me, I wish I had done that earlier so I could have learned. But you know what? I can I, – I hate – regretting anything because a startup is like a person's life you can't really have regrets because every moment made us stronger right in some way or every interaction there's there's definitely things that we know now or if we hadn't made those mistakes earlier on or invested in it we wouldn't be who we are today what were some of the frustrating moments that you were coming across um definitely like when you um hire people to build your site and they don't you know build it um (laughs) That was definitely disappointing. And there, were, there was like a moment early on where I was like, oh, my God, I got to throw away my all the code. I mean, I have to start over. Yeah. You know, that was not easy. But I don't know. I just never I didn't have any fear with with, oh, my God, this is not worth it. Let me go do something else. I just was like, OK, let's go find somebody else to do it. I was invested in the mission and the cause that I wasn't going to stop until I realized it. You know, I was, I was reading an old article um, back when, when it was still called Classivity. Yeah. And, and, you know, as you do at the end of reading an article, you get to the, the comments section. And, uh, you know, there's just these these anonymous people just like taking all these anonymously, just like taking these shots and stuff. And, you know, how, how do you, 
you know, how do you navigate, you know, working in a world where you have to deal with this like inane anonymous chatter all the time? I zone it out. I don't know. I, I like always surround myself by positivity and mm-hmm. there's always going to be negativity. It's a matter of how much you want to listen to it. And I think I've just learned to say, I'm not going to listen to it because I'd rather focus on the things that I'm doing mm-hmm. and going forward in them. Feedback is another thing. And I like feedback is great. To Feedback's get. better than uh, anonymous comments. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's always going to be, I mean, the way I, and I never, I, I always am like, how can I help you? Because if you feel like that, that you need to give negative energy to other people, my job is to help you feel positive because I think it's so nice when people are positive to others because it inspires positivity in them and encouragement makes them go do amazing things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think people will always, you know, and I realize this, like with this trajectory of building a company, like you end up having, I hate to say it, but more haters. Like there's, there is this dynamic. There's this thing in, in, um, in India, it's called the evil eye. Oh, yeah. And when I was younger, my mom, actually, because I performed so young, she would put um, kajal, which is basically like eyeliner, uh, behind my ear because it's supposed to it's supposed to like retract any evil eye on you. Um, but, you know, it's it's harder when you start like doing well, like you start realizing. And I've, I've definitely been more conscious of it. And I'm like, wow, like I can see how people like want to always talk about things and say things. Um, yeah. You just have to block it out. How did you develop that business model that that made, you know, made it successful? For me, it comes down to building a product that people are going to use and stay engaged with over time. And I think in the beginning, we had a product that was functional and people came to it and they searched for classes, but they weren't going to class. And to me, if they weren't going to class, I wasn't realizing my mission. Mm-hmm. So, we then iterated, we built another product um which did well, and it got people to class, but it didn't get them to stay engaged with it. Were these the different iterations of, like, it being classivity and then... It was the passport in the was... middle. Okay. And then, and um, then... the class pass essentially is the monthly version of... The monthly subscription version of the passport. Mm-hmm. And so... But the number one thing we did through all of it is we listened. When users were like, that doesn't feel right. Like, no, I don't want it because of X. And you have to listen to those things to know, wait, let me change that now. And you have to take risks in the beginning, too, to say, let me get up there. I have no idea if this is going to work. And I think sometimes people want to over-optimize and build all of it. And I think it's a matter of get it out and see. And you'll build the rest later. Like, sometimes people, I remember when they're starting companies, I'll be like, don't I need a lawyer and, like, like trademark my, my name? And I'm like, by the time you need to do that, like, that's a good thing if you're having those issues. Or sometimes people are like, oh, like, you know, I got to make sure I have enough, like, server capacity. I'm like... If your site goes down, that's a very good problem to have because yeah. that's, those are the things people don't think about because the harder part is getting people to come right. <laughs> and use your product. Right. You know, obviously you don't want it to go down once you once you have the traction, but those are sort of good problems to have that you don't need to be thinking about in the beginning. In the beginning is how do I just get someone using this? That's that people's attention is all over the place today, right? They can buy anything they want. So it's how are you going to get their attention onto your product and keep them engaged? That's it. That's really more the competition that people have. You know, a bunch of my friends use ClassPass, and the way that they talk about it, there's like almost this cult-like following around it. They're just like obsessed with it. It's, it's this really cool thing. It's the happy people. <laughs> yeah. Do you like that? Do you like that kind of feeling that people are just you know, you know, really engaging with like something that you created? How does that feel? It's it's amazing. I mean, you know, you just heard me talk about dance, right, right. For, for like 30 minutes. And I feel like that's really that's what they're excited about. That's awesome. Like they found a way to stay connected to themselves and find time for themselves. And um, 
that's that's great. A world that's full of people like that is amazing. Yeah. You know, I, I like that it almost it like tricks people in a way into like being more accountable and responsible, you know, and especially it's in our fun. in it's our not, ever yeah. in our ever growing culture of flakiness too, where it's just yep. so easy to just shirk any kind of responsibility. Absolutely. You know, in such a non-confrontational way, which makes it easier so people do it more often. Yeah. I mean, you know? you're and you've entered the world, you can do anything with it, right? Like right. you've already paid for it, so we're going to give you all the opportunity in the world to try new things or, you know, stick with other things that you've loved before, or things that you fell out of. You know, I people always um tell me how, "Oh my god, I used to be an athlete or I played tennis in college or I used to like run all the time and they talk about it like it was in the past, but they always have a smile on their face talking about it, right? Because it was this hobby or this time in their life. And I'm like, you can have that in your life now. You know, you're creating that constraint. And my whole thing is don't create those constraints. Make it a part of your life today and still like own that identity of having it. How much did the, um, the initial idea and goals change from when you started to where you are now? The products changed, I would say, a lot um, in terms of, like, how we communicate it to to users. It's funny, though, because we're still scheduling, right, like software, which is essentially what we were in the beginning. We're helping people schedule their classes. It's just more of a subscription. Um, the You know, to me, the way what's been awesome about the vision is before it was, okay, let's fix this information gap to get people to classes. And I think as I've seen what's happened and I've seen the energy people have – it's actually helped me even sort of make the vision bigger of making it feel like, whoa, this isn't just even about like pursuing passions. It's about helping people feel and find themselves and feel liberated. And I can connect them to more and more things in their life because, as you said, they're they're sort of it's like class pass makes them sort of energized mm-hmm. and doing things. Oh, yeah. And that's sort of, you know, it's like a class like everyone wants to go to class now. Like it's such a backwards way of thinking about it because. Before, it'd be like, oh, I got to drag myself to the gym. And that's not sort of the mentality. We get a lot of messages about this that people say, like, it's not working out to me anymore. Like, they can't, they get so excited about waking up to go to their class or to book their class. And so we've kind of, like, I don't know, I, I like, I feel like people want to continuously learn, right? And, you know, going back to, like, the college analogy, like, and we're, we're taught for the first, like, 20, like, years of our life to keep learning and trying new things and dabble and, you know, keep learning. And now all of a sudden you get one job and you become sort of plain vanilla. Mm-hmm. And I think that learning should always stay with you. And it's good. I think it's a, it's a great thing to anything that can, you know, get that back for people. Yeah. It's really important. Absolutely. What have been the tough moments for you trying to make it as an entrepreneur? You know, in terms of making it as an entrepreneur, I would say, look, you need to cut, you know, for any any company, I think earlier on, you need to sort of have like create some sort of metric of growth. Right. Whether it's users, revenue, you know, something needs to be growing. And I think figuring out what that was and then making it grow, I think it's hard. You have And what you have to keep doing is you have to sh- show up to work every day being like it's going to happen today. Yeah. Like literally that is what you do, you know, and I think it's been awesome when it's, it was awesome for me when it didn't work. And it was awesome when it started working because it was just different problems to solve. Once it started working, now I'm like, OK, I have to start, start solving other problems of then you start thinking about how does the site not go down right right that's like right. those are the other problems you start solving but i don't know i mean i would say every day is a challenge as an entrepreneur because i have no blueprint my day is not said by anyone set by anyone aside me and where i could spend my time is um you know where i'm looking at the priorities for the company for my team 
um, you know, what's next. And I'm making that up as I go, right? There's no blueprint, so. Yeah. What are the things that still inspire you and drive you to keep going forward? I think whenever I meet our users, it's just so amazing to see what, how they feel because of the product that just thinking about the entire world feeling like that drives me and wakes me up and makes me so energized about the company we've built. Mm-hmm. Um, I still find a lot of inspiration in the things I think I've found inspiration in my entire life, my dance, my family, you know, the things that keep me whole. Um, and they still keep me whole. And I think it's I'm very authentic with those things. I, nothing in my life has changed on that side. Do you still have time to dance? I wish I had more. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, I'm focusing in on it. I think it's like it's up to me, right? And I think that's it's like up to me to make it a priority. And one of my, my New Year's resolution this year was to perform once once a month. Oh, wow. We've kind of done it. I mean, but we've broken it a little bit. But, you know, I think it's important when you have important things like that in your life to make it a priority. Um, and it was just, you know, at least I set set a goal for it. That's great. What are the day-to-day fears and stresses that you come across? You know, it's funny. I always talk about being really present in everything you're doing. And I realized as the company's grown, I've had almost, I've had more trouble kind of finding that for myself, right, mm-hmm. personally, because there's a lot going on. Um, but I think that's where I've focused on, I go to class. Right. Right. And I, I have to live the life I'm telling everyone else to live. Yeah. Um, so it's something I definitely have to focus on. Um, we have more people in the company. So I realized, wow, this was a lot easier when I could talk to four people in an entire company and create something. And now, you know, it's about creating the communication, uh, the process in a company right. that makes sure that sort of the brain is intact. The brain's like sort of, you know, the one driving source behind it. What are the realities of living in New York and trying to do what you want to do? Great question. Um, look, New York, I think, is a obviously pretty expensive place to live, right? Yeah. Um, you know, my first apartment that I had here was thankfully pretty I would say pretty cheap I like shared it with my family right and I think you have to make those sacrifices someone was asking me this the other day too and I was thinking about it and honestly I spent my first five years when I was working at Bain and Warner all I would do was I would dance so I didn't really spend that much money if that makes sense because Mm -hmm. on the weekends like I wasn't going out to big dinners and drinking and stuff because I was performing so I actually had saved a lot like I had good a good income from my from my jobs over those five years that I had a lot of in savings when I went to go do that. When for other people, the the number one thing I always say is in order to do this, like, like I said, I have to wake up and feel ready and motivated every day. So if I have other stresses in my life, it takes away from me giving to the one thing I was trying to do. And look, that's definitely happened to me over this, these five years. My life is definitely, you know, it's not perfect and there's definitely been problems, but I realized that if you have to deal with those stresses, it's going to end up taking away from what you want to create if you're worrying about it. So you have to set yourself up for success, and that comes from thinking through those things. And you can't feel bad about making that decision. And I never made, I never felt bad about making the economic decisions I did. Like I said no to trips, and I said no to certain like things that I couldn't afford. But I didn't feel bad about it. I was, I actively knew I made that decision versus passively kept feeling like, oh my god, I shouldn't have done that. And I think that's that's what you have to do because. I think you can make it work in New York. Mm-hmm. You just have to be ready to make it work, right? Like, there's a bunch of dancers I know who dance on Broadway and or actors who are trying to find a job. Like, they do not have a steady steady income source, right? But they make it work, right? They they live in different places in New York City. They move around a bit more. But 
they're free and they live their life and they've accepted it. I think the worst is not accepting it. You know, what are your hopes for what your company is going to do and where do you want to end up? I really believe that, um, you know, I, I believe ClassPass has helped people change their lives in the sense of how they spend the hours of their life, right? And my whole dream is to make every person have that place I had dance in their life. And I think that doesn't come from one thing. It comes from multiple things. I get it from multiple things. But I want every person to make time for it. And whether we have to trick them or not, you yeah. know, I think what's awesome is we've made it happen. People are spending the hours of their life doing things that they love and that are giving back to them. And if you do that, everything else in your life follows, right? Your career, your relationships, your, you know, your family, like everything is going to get that positive energy if you take care of that core. And I believe there is a way to have class pass for everyone, right? right? It's just a matter of how it works. But um, anyone around the globe, you know, any person, there's probably a product for you. That's amazing. Pyle Kadakia, thank you so much. Thank you. 